0: Welcome to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday afternoon news hour on Radio Free Brooklyn. We are recording this episode on Thursday, April 8th, and it will begin airing on Sunday, April 11th. My name is Reese Robinson. I'm on air today with my co-hosts Emily Scott and Jasmine Smith and our special guest, Trisha O'Connor. How's it going today, ladies?
1: Good, good, good. Thank you for having me.
2: Awesome.
0: Yeah, we're excited to have you.
2: And a uh, happy birthday to Jasmine! Happy there.
3: birthday! Woo! Thank you, thank you.
2: Yeah, her birthday is going to hit right between recording
0: and airing. So awesome! All right, so this week we will be discussing Trisha O'Connor and the cease and desist bill in NYC, attacks on trans rights in the U.S., the Malek IPec case in Turkey, and some good news about California and air pollution rates going down. And much more. So, we're going to kick off our episode today with our local segment with an interview with Trisha. How's it going? How are you?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: (laughs) I'm doing great. And I just want to thank you so much for joining the show today. This is going to be awesome. Thank you for having
1: me. Yes, I'm excited.
0: So, I'm not going to kill your thunder, but I will tell the people that Trisha is running for Brooklyn Borough president.
1: Yes, I am. Yes, I am.
0: And she is from East Flatbush. So, gang, gang. Mm-hmm, All in my hood. Mm-hmm, <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Can you start off just telling us a little bit about your background and why you decided to enter politics? So um, I am the daughter
1: to um, a woman who is from Jamaica, a father who is from Venezuela. I have uh, my grandmother um, who was from Grenada and um, my maternal grandmother's from from Cuba and India. Um, so my family um, is from East Flatbush, right? Uh, Lives, born and raised in East Flatbush. And about a year after high school, um, I got into real estate. And I joined a real estate law firm for the summer and worked there for the summer while um, I was home from college. And they, they really loved me. And they said to me that if I ever come back to go to school in New York, I have a position there. Um, And I came back. I did end up coming back and was going to school in New York City. And they hired me. And not too long after that, the manager um, who I was an assistant to, he um, got fired. And they were looking to hire someone to take his position and the whole time I was doing his position. So they ended up giving me his position at a very young age to manage um a, a real estate law firm in okay. in Manhattan. Wow. I hired, I fired, I did accounts payable, accounts receivable, I did support to the attorneys. Um I would sit in attorney meetings. I just I just really wanted to learn as much as I needed. I felt like, you know, was out there and I needed to learn. Okay. Um, I, I eventually left the law firm and got into real estate and, you know, even though it was a real estate law firm, I really didn't have the love for it then, um, until I left. And when I left, I just went really hard with real estate, trying to learn everything. I now am, um, uh, educator, I teach real estate. I've been teaching real estate for 11 years. I teach real estate at Baruch College. I am an appointed board member for the New York State Department of State Real Estate Board. Five brokers are appointed in the whole state, and we make the rules and regulations um, for all real estate brokers. I'm out of the five brokers. I'm the youngest and the only person of color. Wow,
4: um,
1: okay. I am the former chair of Housing for Community Board 17. Um, I was a member of the land use committee, the youth committee, the education committee, and I helped create um, and build up the block association and tenant association committees. Um, I have my own real estate law firm, my, my, sorry, my own real estate brokerage firm. Um, I should have been a lawyer. Um, so many lawyers told me not to be a lawyer, but it's okay because I have a good team around me of people. So I have a real estate brokerage firm and um, I've been doing brokerage for many, many years. Um, I teach brokerage um, and uh, I have a lot of dedicated real estate agents. Who who work under me. Um, I'm also the executive director on a nonprofit organization that educates um, people on how to um, young people how to um, understand generational wealth. So I run a real estate camp every single year where I bring in mortgage people, attorneys, um, appraisers. Uh, we go to the courthouse and watch the foreclosure um, the properties be foreclosed um, so, so, and it's all because of those are the things that I knew I needed when I was working at the real estate law firm. And, and, and those were the the skills that I received. So I'm giving them back to high school and college students. The students do get paid for the most part through SYP, the summer youth program or their school. Some kids who are not, didn't get qualified for those. They still want to come and work because they want to learn the pro they want to understand real estate, entrepreneurship, uh, community work. We go and, we visit houses. We go to the courthouse. We analyze real estate properties. Um, we get workshops from professionals. So these are some of the things that I do. I also, um, under the Real Estate Empowerment Coalition, which is a nonprofit I'm executive director for, we have the Trading Hammer and Hammer program, which is ran by Divine Shabazz and and Darren Fernandez, and they are top uh, real estate construction professionals in their field and they are helping men and women. We actually just got a woman into the construction union today, uh, helping men and nice. women put down their gun and pick up the hammer. That's why it's called trading hammer to hammer. Wow. So they're putting down their gun and literally we're in the street in, in, in Flatbush, um, walking the street, You know, one, two o'clock in the morning in the summer, talking to the men and women um, about different opportunities, whether it's entrepreneurship, whether it's, um, you know, small business assistance. whether it's how to get into the union through okay. our program, they get training um, weekly. They get two classes weekly for free and they get placement, um, assist, uh, placement assistance to go into the construction union and it's been successful. So the name trading hammer and hammer, that's exactly what it is. We want people to put down the gun and, and understand that if they have this stable um, employment, you know, they want to take yeah. care of their families. They want to yeah. do that. So we, we've, and they, we have a weekly session every, um, so every Sunday is a class, a construction class. And every Thursday, which was tonight, was a personal development, conflict resolution, okay. you know, teaching them relationship because, you know, m- 95% of the participants are formerly incarcerated you mm-hmm. don't have to be but mo- many of them are okay. and then they have to give community service based on how many years they've spent in prison they have mm-hmm. to dedicate that in order to graduate so there's other things but yeah, i'm not going to go into so more so much okay. i've done i've done a lot <laughs>
0: yeah i see And you're quite credentialed so i definitely Thank you. appreciate all the work you've done it seems like you've been on the ground you've been in the boardroom it seems like you're making differences in everyday people's lives, as well as the future of Brooklyn um, and New York as a whole. So that's awesome. Definitely good to hear that. All right. So you have a campaign you're working on right now. Yes. And you are taking this thing very serious. I did read up a little bit more about it. Um, Can you just explain for our listeners the cease and desist bill that you've been working on?
1: So, well, one, I want to just redisclose that I am um, a board member, an appointed board member on the New York State Department of State Real Estate Board, and they are the one that oversee the cease and desist bill. So, you know, the cease and desist um, in the 60s, in the 60s, um, there were situations in communities where a community that was predominantly white um someone may have sold their home to a black or Hispanic family. And when that happened, you know, the real estate professionals, and I'm a real estate professional. So, you know, when people want to say, well, you're a real estate professional. Well, I believe in, I'm trying to get rid of the predatory housing. That's what my campaign is about, getting rid of the predatory housing.
4: Okay. So
1: these real estate professionals were soliciting the homeowners, asking them to sell their homes. But they were using the block. They were using blockbusting. Blockbusting is a technique where you scare a homeowner into selling their home. So this is a you know, a home is an asset, you know, at at some right. point, and right. you know, you hope to to pass it on to generation to generation. But the, this tactic was to scare them to sell. Well, what was their tactic? Their tactic was you better sell. If you notice you have black and Hispanics moving into your neighborhood, you better sell now before your property devalues. That was a scare tactic. Wow. So at that point, um a couple things happened. Some people sold and left. Right? And they went to the suburbs and they said, yeah, you know what? Let me get out of here. Let me sell. And there were some people who were saying, I'm sick and tired of these real estate professionals knocking on my door and calling us to sell. So they went to the state and they asked the state for a non-solicitation order. A non-solicitation order, which became the name the cease and desist bill, is to prevent any real estate professional from ultimately harassing this property owner from selling their home and at that point it was made for the white homeowners because the white homeowners Mm. were the ones being harassed by the real estate agents okay so they got the cease and desist bill now let's fast forward to when trisha o'connor got licensed at a young age I found about this cease and desist bill, and I said, you know what? Eventually, when I became a homeowner, I said, you know what? I want to go and put my house on the cease and desist bill because I'm tired of people knocking on my doors asking me to sell my home. I'm tired of getting letters in the mail asking me to sell my home. So if this bill exists, and it exists from you know probably the late 60s to early 70s, then it should exist for me as well. And I tried, and I couple, I tried a couple of times, and my name, my name, and my property could not go on this list. So, wow. um, I asked a couple questions, and I really wasn't able to get a real answer until I was on the board. Right, I'm an appointed board member, so I'm on the board, okay. and I was told there's a procedure. So that's what I was told. I wasn't, you know, it's not like I'm discouraged or it, it's a conflict. It's just like I was just told there's a procedure. Your state senator has to uh, create this this bill for your neighborhood. I kind of think it shouldn't be like that. Um, yeah. and, and the Senate should fight like that. I think it's, if it's a state bill, it should go for every community. Absolutely. It shouldn't discriminate a bill that was created to prevent discrimination is discriminating so um it was introduced in our neighborhood in of brooklyn um and um it is getting pushed back i've i've spoken to some of the you know and here's the thing that's even that's really big with it we have a foreclosure momentarium a mortgage momentarium that's about to be listed lifted June 30th. Right. Now, let me let me explain to the listeners what that means. That means that those people who are affected by Covid nineteen and could not pay their mortgage. Was able to call the bank and ask the bank for a forbearance, which paused their mortgage payments. They may have credit; it may hit their credit in some way, but it it, it paused them and stopped them from facing foreclosure. Because once you miss four or five payments, you miss four, you get you you are in jeopardy of getting a list pendants filed against you. So the, four, the momentarium paused it. Now, it was extended, it was extended, it was extended. Now, it's supposed to be lifted June 30th. June 30th, all the backlog of the properties that were scheduled to be foreclosed for over a year and a half. Now, let me tell you something. I've taken these young kids to the courthouse. I go to the courthouse. Listen, these there is 90 homes being foreclosed a week in Brooklyn huh? alone. That's a week awesome. a week when I say 90 homes these are 90 homes it's like gone gone and and when you go in there it's like you feel like you in a meat shop you feel like you in a meat shop and you just ordered some meat from the butcher and yeah. you waiting for them to cut up your meat and tell you when your number is ready and you like that's how that's how the foreclosure court it so if you imagine We're talking about maybe 18 months of no foreclosure actions when foreclosures were 90 a a month, I mean a week. I'm not saying a month, a week, every Thursday, there's auctions at 2.30 in Brooklyn. So now, so now all those foreclosures are backed up. Some may go through and be okay. Some may go worse because now some people may have lost their jobs. Some people may have passed away from COVID. So imagine when they open the court on June 30th, June 30th, when they open the court, you're going to see how many foreclosures there are? Because there's a lot of people who didn't know that they had to call their bank to get a for, to get a forbearance. It's not automatic. There's mm-hmm. a lot of people who mm-hmm. thought like I tried to do as much outreach as I can from the community board, as as the chair of housing. Immediately when COVID hit, I had NHS of Brooklyn come and do virtual virtual webinars on how to do this properly because the people, there are a lot of people who still are not going to have money to pay their mortgage. And there's going to be a lot of people who don't have, um, who didn't file the the, foreclosure forbearance because they thought it was automatically. And now they're in, they're in foreclosure. And remember I told you foreclosure begins around missing four or five payments. These people have missed 18 payments. 18 months of pay- Eighteen months of payments, they're behind, behind. So when the courts come up, if there was 90 homes before, there's going to be a whole lot more. But here's the thing. The investors love it. The investors love it. What they're going to do is they are going to flood the streets, flood the mailboxes, flood the phones. There are people who have offices set up, and their jobs all day are to call homeowners and find out if they want to sell. That's their job. Wow. And they will call. They will call. They will hire somebody to call uh, 2, a 2000 names a day if they can, hoping that they get one name, one person that says, "Yeah, I'm I'm desperate. I'm vulnerable. Yeah, I'll take the cash." So what if they make $400,000 on that one house? That payday for the day was great. This cease and desist bill right here is going to slow down that gentrification, going to slow that down, that harassment, because they won't be able to touch those houses. Now, as a community, we can make sure the HUD-approved community agencies that assist homeowners who are facing foreclosure, now we can make sure they're getting to them before the investors get to them because this bill is going to prevent the people from even calling them. And that's why this bill is so important.
0: Okay. All right. That was, thank you so much for breaking it down because definitely like, I feel like um a lot of people are aware of some of these things, but not necessarily the ins and outs. So you definitely made it very clear. Uh, before we wrap up the interview, I just want to ask you, So you're running for Brooklyn Borough President. What issues besides this can your constituents expect to be of top priority to your agenda if you're elected?
1: Okay, so I've spent, I was one of the youngest people to ever be on the community board. The borough presidents, one of the, one of a a big position that the, the, that the borough president has is that they have to appoint 50% of the community board members for Brooklyn. I was one of the youngest community board members in my community board when I started. Not only that, I was chair of housing. I've sat on many, many, many committees and I was on there for, for about a decade, um, looking at the community boards and strengthening that so the community residents know that they have a voice. They need to understand what the community boards mean, the value of the community boards, the value of the community board members, and the residents who attend the meeting. So I'm going to make sure that there's some type of reform in the community boards that works for the community. That that hear the input of the community board members on what needs to be better. Of course predatory housing is at the forefront, not just, you know, with the cease and desist and the homeowners, but also NYCHA, you know, I have a strong real estate background and some people shy away from real estate because they think about, you know, real estate development. I'm okay with, with responsible real estate, with development, development. But the thing is that you have evictions you have homeless people they are they rather house homeless people than give them stable housing i am against shelters i'm against shelters because they could have taken that same money and put that person in a stable home i'm i'm a mother of 3 when i think about the homeless system and how someone has to go here and then go here and then go here and then you're here for 6 months i don't know what that would do to my children and myself, God forbid, we had to go through those, you know, they're getting paid big money per occupant, but yet they give the, 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 the resident $1,500 to go find a three bedroom. I'm a real estate professional. You cannot find a three bedroom for $1,500, but that, that homeless shelter, that homeless shelter is making big money. You know who else is making big money? The storage units. The city has contracts with the storage units. I went into the storage unit the other day. I got lost. That building is so huge. They could make that building apartments, but here's the plan. You see, and this is the reason why, you know, people really do not want me to be borough president because they know that I know as much as I know, right? That those, those, those storage units, they're going to end up rezoning all that land over there. That's what they're going to look to do. They're going to look to rezone all that land. And when they rezone all that land, now that land can be luxury apartments. The city paid for those storage units. They're paying off the mortgage on those whole, those whole things. Those, those, those storage owners are going to own those properties free and clear. The okay. shelters, look at the business of the shelters. So with me, housing, and land use is very important. Okay. I do have some other councils. I have um, small business and economic development. As a small business owner, okay. I have youth development and the aging. I have health, food, and the pandemic. I have public safety, community policing, and prison reform. So I have okay. different advisory councils, and I have people appointed to the advisory councils, and I'm asking people to join. Go to, you know, they could go to trishokanda.com and and join the councils, okay, and um, really be a part and hear their voice. I'm looking for community leaders, professional experts you know, who want to be a part of, I I don't know everything. I know a lot of housing. I know a lot of real estate. I know a lot of community that's been my 20 years. Um, but I need, I'm looking for leaders, um, and experts in other areas as well.
0: Okay. Awesome. Well, that's definitely, um, people check out her website, check out her her lane it seems like she's very, very focused on these specific topics and there's definitely more to check out. Um, ladies, do you have anything, any final questions or comments for our guests before we go to break? Um,
2: yeah, so Trisha, I am a former recently former uh real estate agent in New York, actually. Um it, it's not I did it for a bit, not quite for me, but um I definitely saw a lot of what you're talking about um and how it it does not work to serve a large portion of the population that really needs help and and how big of an issue housing is so hearing you talk so passionately passionately and knowledgeably about these issues from like a social justice perspective is is very cool and very important um i appreciate it yeah so thank you so much for sharing all of that with us as well once, once I get started in talking about this, I'm sorry if I
1: took over some to time, but once I start right. talking about it, I have a lot of information.
0: Right. So that website is TrishaOcona.com. Right. T-R-I-S-H-A-O-C-O-N-A.com.
1: I also have a toll free number. So people from the community call me all the time. 833 O'Kana 4 bk That's O-C-O-N-A. The number for
3: B-K.
0: Awesome. And we will well, when, also when, post some information is, on, her Facebook, on our Facebook page.
3: When is the actual election for borough president?
1: So the actual election is November 2nd, but the primary um, for those who have to get on a party is June 22nd.
0: Okay.
3: Okay. And are you on the Dem ticket or?
1: I'm, I'm, I'm working on the Dem ticket. Um, there are people working overtime to get me off, but, um, you know, God put me there. Nobody can't take me off. And uh, (laughs) clearly, clearly that means I must be a threat to somebody if they're working so hard. They're trying to work so hard.
0: All right. So definitely look out for her work and check out her website. Um, get involved, people. You know, you don't have to wait. If this is something that has affected your family or somebody you know, which is all of us, all of us out here paying this high-ass rent and having all these issues, mm-hmm. um, definitely jump in this conversation and get involved. I'd like to thank you so much, Trisha, for being a part of our show today. Thank you uh, for having me. I wish you the best of luck in your campaign. And I'll be on the thank lookout, girl. I thank might you, see you at you. the at the corner store. I might see you at the key food. But at mm-hmm. the de- I'm definitely <laughs> encouraging you. To keep up the good work and keep working with the community. We really appreciate that. Thank you so much. All right, people. So we're going to take our first music break. This track is called Murder and it's by Toby Nuege. We'll be right back. I never give
5: it mercy. mercy, mercy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I never give it mercy, 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 mercy. I never give it mercy, yeah, yeah, boy, I never give it mercy, don't nobody really say this, boy. <coughs> get twisted, look, every beat I'm on, I never give it mercy, like an for the flow's ice cold, the flow is too old, if you're thirsty, everybody has to suit your soul, like, Murder, your if you're talking about appropriation, the whole nation guilty by association. This whole system needs foliation You keep commandments, but you devilish. So really, you a holy saint How you Muslim, but you always bacon? Hell, I ain't Muslim. I'm just saying, if you acting, that's the whole you playing. Don't judge me. You need to listen. I Hell, I'm approaching 30. That's when all that have name nay, nay and stops. Don't get it twisted. I'm with God to the ticket stops. But anybody could catch these hands like the chicken pies. Quick the box if you threaten me or my family from the SWAT. So watch how you speak when you handle me. Flow is high while I bring the curse. Then the candle Bring vibe every time I beat. But the cameras beat. Had to brag. Hold on. Let me get back in my bag. Look out. You be? I'm a guru when I speak. No I'm a, I'm a Niger boy. That's foo foo when I eat. I'ma lose you if you eat. Hence your bruise if you repeat. I'm definitely to your flow boo boo. Got got goo when you speak. You got baby flow Pacify. All I spit is dragon fire. Desecrate all the food on my plate. This beat an appetizer, y'all. I ain't even touched the main course. It take great to get it. popping like champagne corks. Staying floor. In my living room, fat be in that paint. Facebook Live, almost 20,000. Check out our engagement, you Spirit was thinking, had me shedding tears. Loki felt like James Weston during freshman year. Heisman, no disguise, man. I get live man. I see the visions of many me's on the horizon. Me and Fats energy coincidentally surprising. She had me on bending, the image was polarizing. Guys, when you find the one, you should lock her up. Hit a knee, put a ring on it and knock her up. Yeah, to be sick is getting doctored up. Please tell the fat lady sing the apple So...
0: Welcome back to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we will go ahead and hop into our national news story. Jasmine, you're up to pay.
3: Okay, so um, unfortunately this is um, many different stories that are all about the same issue happening around the country Um, I'm going to be reading from an article entitled, More Anti-Trans Bills Have Been Introduced in 2021 Than Any Year in History. Um, This was written by Justin Lesner. It came out on Wednesday, April the 7th. And the website where you can find the full article is We Are Me Too, We Are, and then M-I-T-U. Um, So Justin goes on to write, "Uh, trans rights are under siege in over half of the United States this year, as 28 states have proposed one or more anti-trans bills. The bills range from banning trans children from playing on sports teams to prohibiting doctors from giving trans youth life-saving care. At least 93 anti-trans bills have now been introduced across the country, 48 are anti-trans sports bills. 29 limit medical care. Um, as of when that art, this article was written, four have already been signed into law. Um, this is an aside, not in the article, but one of those laws includes um, in the Arkansas Senate, a bill was passed that bars access to trans health care for minors. Um, the Arkansas governor had vetoed it, but then he was overridden. So now um, the the bill bans gender-affirming treatments for gen- transgender minors in that state. Um, now back to the article. According to a report published Monday by Axios, at least 73 pieces of legislation have already been put forward in state legislators, slaters, targeting members of the transgender community. Of those proposals, 65 specifically single out trans youth such as bans prohibiting the kinds of medical care doctors can offer trans minors and others seeking to limit the participation of trans student athletes in school sports. Notable examples include legislative efforts by South Dakota and Mississippi, both of which passed bills in the past week blocking trans girls from competing in school athletics in accordance with their gender identity. After being approved by their respective houses and Senates, their governors have vowed to sign them. These would be the first bills of their kind to become law in the US after numerous attempts to pass anti-transports bills in previous years. In 2019, a bill targeting trans student athletes failed in the South Dakota House by just one vote. So obviously it had a lot of support when it did fail, um, if it was that close. Trans advocates and experts argue that bills like this do not protect young trans people, and recent studies support this. In February, the Center for American Progress, or CAP, released a report which argued that banning the trans community from certain sports programs would deprive an entire group of people of the benefits of athletics, including lower risk of depression, anxiety, and drug use. Despite so many states introducing legislation targeting trans youth in sports, the report also found that the argument of an quote-unquote unfair advantage does not actually hold up to data-driven scrutiny. Um, And this next part is a quote from Chase Strangio, who is Deputy Director for Transgender Justice at the ACLU. I follow them on Twitter and they are very good about putting like action items up along with um, keeping a running tally of this legislation happening. So Chase um, says, this has been a significant part of my work at the ACLU for the past six years and I've never seen anything like this. There have never been this many bills targeting trans youth voted out of committee and then making it to the floor. Um, So in addition to the focus on trans children in sports, there's also been um, like bills coming out that are trying to stop um, trans children from having access to things like puberty blockers, for example. Um, This information is from CNN. It came out last week. Um, The article is entitled, Transgender Rights in the Spotlight as Arkansas and Tennessee Become Latest States to Pass Anti-Trans Legislation. Um, So as I mentioned earlier, Arkansas Save Adolescents from Experimentation Act, or SAFE, is a measure that passed that would prevent gender transition procedures for trans people under the age of 18. Um, The same act would also ban so-called cross hormone therapy, which is a gender affirming treatment that allows for trans people to change their physical appearance to be more consistent with their gender identity. Um, There's one last quote that I'll say um, that's from that write up on CNN from Raquel Willis, who's a black trans activist and writer. And she said, affirming health care can literally be life or death for anyone but particularly for trans youth. People think that's an exaggeration. It's not. People think you can just discipline identity out of someone, and that is not true and in many ways is torture. Um, so if you, it's, it's jarring to see it all written up, but if you go to www.aclu.org forward slash legislation dash affecting with an a dash lgbt dash rights dash across dash country it will show you in real time like all the bills that are um, being debated right now like which have passed which have not Um, so we'll put that up on our show page and we'll also put up information on like where who you should follow for updates and ways that you can get involved to try to push back against this wave of, you know, bigoted legislation that's coming out.
0: Wow. I mean, I didn't even realize there was so much. Thank you so much for bringing that story to light because this is, you know, you don't hear as much about these issues as we should. And I think it's awful that this is affecting children. Um, You know, no matter what side of the argument you are on with this, the reality is these are children. They are figuring out life, and they should, in my opinion, they should not be made to feel or be subjected to bills and laws that stop them from figuring it out, whatever it is, or making transitions that they feel they need to, or just having the safety, having protections to understand themselves.
2: It's it's always very... alarming to hear when there's big waves of these sorts of like reactionary um, movements happening on like on a legal scale around the country. I think um, we're seeing a lot of that also happening with voter suppression laws coming in, I think. Um, And and hearing it compiled like that, too, is also very overwhelming. And and it's very telling, right? Like there there's a lot of people that are like. scared and like all this hate is coming out and um i don't know what they're scared of really you know but um it's it's going to hurt a lot of people um and it's 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 awful it's really awful um and overwhelming and and i guess you know
3: i'll be putting up a link where you can follow um Mm -hmm. different activists that do um have different action items that they compile
2: Great. Yeah, because it's like, what else can you do? Right. And it, it can feel overwhelming and, and looking for ways to help, um, however small maybe may be on an individual scale, um, is often a good way to um often does go a farther than it than it feels like it can.
3: Yeah, if you follow if I'm not sure like how many people are on Twitter that listen to us, but if you go to Chase Strangio's Twitter account, it's at C H A S E. E-S-T-R-A-N-G-I-O, he will have like often like petitions and like you can call this person, like those types of things. Um, So it is very focused on like electoral issues because it's a legislative, um, not electoral, like it's very much about like getting in touch with this or that representative and let them know that you don't agree with this. Um, So that's one first step. But like Teresa said, I don't think that these issues are getting the attention they need. And I didn't read it from the Me Too article, but in the Justin Lesnar piece, one of the things that writer says is that, you know, just because Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that do feel a lot more complacent. Like when presidents change, or it seems like there's certain victories that have happened, there's a lot of people that stop paying attention to, you know, attacks on reproductive rights, attacks on LGBTQ rights, attacks on voting rights, because the face that's in charge of the country has changed. There's a lot of people that sort of, um, Cut their brain off in a way, or like they're just not really alert to these things.
0: Thank you so much, Jasmine, for bringing light to that story. Please check out our Facebook page for a continued action um, against this, and just you know, tap into the ACLU. They have a lot of great information available on their site. I definitely promote them through uh, Liberation, my artist showcase, just to stay informed and involved. Gives you uh, easy action items for topics that you may feel passionate about and just don't know how to jump in. So, thank you so much for that story again, Jasmine. We're going to go ahead and go into our next music break before jumping into our international and good news segment. So, I got a treat for y'all. I'm super hype about this song. This track comes from the late great Bob Marley's granddaughter, whoever knew um, that she was on the music scene. And she's a whole vibe, y'all. Her name is Mystic Marley. And this song is called Sad Girls Cause Damage. Check it out. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Objections to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn. And now we have Emily with our international news segment. All righty. So
2: this story uh, comes from a March 16th New York Times article by Carlotta Gall uh, titled Trial of Woman Who Killed Her Husband Highlights Domestic Abuse in Turkey. Um, And I do want to take a moment to note to the listeners that um, some things in the story are graphic and maybe triggering. Um, so just as an opportunity to bow out um if necessary. Um alrighty, so the article explains uh quote, handcuffed and naked, Melek Ipec endured a night of beatings, sexual assault, and death threats from her husband that left her and their two daughters battered and traumatized. By morning, uh by morning after he went out and came back to the house, she had picked up a gun and killed him in a struggle. Ms. Ipek, 31, was detained after calling the police to the scene in the southern Turkish city of Antalya in January. On Monday, she went on trial, charged with murder and facing a life sentence in what is shaping up to be a politically contentious case for women's rights in the country. Women's rights organizations have leapt to support her, saying that she acted in self-defense and had suffered years of abuse by her husband before a long night of torture. Um, and the Monday that in, in the, the article is referencing is back on March 16th, so back in mid-March. Um, President Erdogan Erdogan of Turkey is, quote, the leader of a conservative Islamist movement who has championed the traditional family as the Turkish ideal. And, quote, his opponents accuse him of allowing violence against women to soar during his tenure. Uh, Quote, women's rights groups have pointed to a sharp rise in deaths of women over the last two decades. Almost three a day occur somewhere in Turkey and the impunity of men charged with domestic abuse. According to Interior Minister Suleyman uh, Soylu, 266 women were killed in episodes of domestic violence last year. Women's rights groups say the real toll is much higher, citing their own figures of 370 recorded femicides last year, that is, women murdered by men because they were female, and 171 cases of women who lost their lives in suspicious circumstances. On top of that are women's suicides uh, that are barely investigated, they say. To compare these statistics, there were 66 murders of women in 2002 the year Adrian's party was elected to office. In the first seven months of 2009, there were 953 women murdered. Uh, quote, the government stopped releasing data on murders according to gender after 2009. Uh, quote, Ms. Ipek appeared in court on Monday by video link from jail. She said she was sad about what had happened and offered condolences to her husband's family. Weeping, she added, but I want to tell everything that I have been through without being ashamed and scared anymore. She she said that she had been a successful student and had dreamed of becoming a math teacher, but that her husband, Ramazan Ipek, had sexually assaulted her while she was still in high school to force her to marry him. The article says that Ms. Ipek was ordered to stay in jail until uh, an April 2nd hearing, but I didn't see any more recent updates online yet um, at the time of this reporting. Uh, quote, lawyers and activists in Antalya have been dismayed that Ms. Ipek was detained. They are also concerned that the indictment described Mr. Ipek as a family man and charged that Ms. Ipek had chosen to shoot her husband rather than seek help from the police or neighbors. Everyone is judging Melek right now. Why did she not call the police? Why didn't she accuse him before? Why didn't she get divorced before, says, uh, said Gur- Gurbet. Kaba Dayi, a teacher and activist in the, at the Antalya Women's Counseling Center and Solidarity Association, which has offered support to Ms. Ipek and her family. The indictment cites the fact that Ms. Ipek did not apply to the state for help or protection or seek it from her neighbors before or during the attack as evidence of her intention to kill him. But as is the case in many places in the world, the system often fails women in Turkey, Quote, police officers often persuade battered women to return to their husbands, restraining orders are rarely enforced, and the court often gives reduced sentences for good behavior, which encourages a sense of impunity among perpetrators of violence, Ms. Kabadaye said. In one case, a Turkish court in 2017 acquitted two men accused of helping to kill their sister because of her Western lifestyle. A lawyer named Hulya Gulbahar points out that, technically, Turkey's constitution supports women's rights, but in reality, those principles are not applied. While Erdogan actually hosted the Istanbul Convention in 2011, which was, quote, the first international agreement to take on domestic violence, today, quote, women's rights campaigners say they are fighting attempts from Islamists to withdraw from the Istanbul Convention, back legislation like articles covering alimony and inheritance rights and lower the age of consent from 18 to 12. And that is the story. Um, I hadn't heard anything about this, uh, until I was looking for stories to do. So, um, I definitely wanted to bring some attention to it since it's, uh, such an important story and, uh, another part of the world and it involves a lot of the issues that we talk about on the show a lot of the time.
0: So what stuck out to me is that you said that last part, lower the age of consent from 18 to 12.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The, what the, the, artic- fuck? the article did not go too deep into that. Um, but essentially um, yeah, like a, a, from according to the reporting, there are campaigners trying to um, roll back, certain um it's it's like a convention so i don't know if it's law versus just like um the standard acceptable
0: right by right. the
2: area but um yeah wow. yeah no it's
0: it's not good wow that's that's even hard to just stomach um i mean i know you know I'm not trying to judge anybody's cultural rules or cultural practices but w- when it comes to issues like this especially you know involving domestic violence and the rights of women like what we need not to be doing is rolling back ages of consent and (laughs) making it difficult um, just to exist. You know, I'm I'm a strong advocate against domestic violence and definitely I have highlighted um, a lot of those issues on this show, but you know, I would have never heard this story if you didn't present it, but it it definitely makes you wonder like, what is the mindset of someone who would do that? And, you know, in, in a greater perspective, you know, what what like the laws around protecting women who have to protect themselves? You know, it's not it's not equal playing field across the world. I definitely think we've been seeing some movement towards uh, more safety practices in places, but like, you know, the the fact that there are people that are working against that is very troubling.
3: Yeah, there's always certain people. That will be like this is why as a woman you need to arm yourself you should have a gun you should have this and it's not that simple because whether it's in the US or in other parts of the world like women end up being punished like double for defending themselves physically against violence you know it's like but had the roles been reversed and he succeeded in killing her like Mm -hmm. then what? you know?
2: Yeah. And it, it's, it really is like a different baseline entirely in terms of what it feels, at least what it feels like. And what it really historically has been is, you know, if, if a woman does lash back out, it's like, well, why didn't she seek all these alternatives to this? Right. Why didn't she ask for help? Why didn't she this? well, we all know that it's never that simple in those scenarios where well, alternatively, when a woman is killed at the hands of her husband or whatever there's always like some reason why it should be mitigated right like oh it was the heat of passion or right oh like you can justify murder right. for any fucking reason right exactly and it, it really it, it's a it's a totally it's a different playing field entirely um you know and and i don't know if it applies specifically in turkey but in general you know i i often think back to when it comes to violence against women and the men and like, you know, it's like men are afraid women will laugh at them and women are afraid men will kill them, you know, and it's just, it's a different playing field entirely.
0: Ooh, Tricia, would you like to add anything to the commentary for the story? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
1: So I have, um, I created councils within my, um, my administration, and one of them is clergy, family affairs, and equality. So definitely, family affairs is a big, a big part of it. Uh, to 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 support that family, even the children who are witnessing that, um, to support the family before it gets to that extent. So I want to reach out to the the community organizations who specialize in this work and let them be able to touch the Brooklyn community sooner. Equality, you know, the last segment was about the transgender and also now the women's rights, right? How can we support them more as well? And then also the Racial um, Immigrant and International Affairs Committee, because if this is an issue in Turkey, you know, we may have... um, you know people from that country come to our city if that's the way it is normal it's normal there and come here and 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 um conform to the same thing right so they they stick to the same thing of what happens in in their country yeah so part of that council is to understand what is happening in other countries because brooklyn is a melting pot and be able to support them here um in in new york now so yeah it's it's a it's a touchy issue but the support so now we got to take what we've learned and try to add support to people to prevent these things from happening Again.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, definitely. Thank you so much for that story, Emily. Definitely important. Um, and again, you know, you can definitely check our Facebook uh, for more information, but please look up these stories and spread the word about, you know, how you feel about these issues. Because the more we talk about it, the less taboo it is. And that's a global movement that we all can make just with our voices. So I'm going to wrap up our show today with the good news segment. Uh, This story comes from the Good News Network, and it is by Andy Corbley. It was published on April 6th. California's air pollution control standards have drastically dropped the amount of diesel particulate matter in the air and cardiopulmonary deaths um, attributed to air quality. So, this is great. Cali's like on the move. They've been making a lot of strides um, in this area. Scientists at UC Berkeley are hailing the state's diesel engine standards and other measures imposed over a number of years, even in the face of loosened environmental regulations in recent years. Um, encouraging shifts away from high sulfur fuels and replacements of diesel ships with electric ones, has gradually scaled the horror show back, despite the fact that still there are more cars registered in the state of California than any other state. So authors from a paper published in a journal called Science made this statement. Our analysis of mobile source uh, diesel particulate matter emissions suggests that many California sector-based policies have been highly effective relative to the rest of the U.S., most towards electric public and private transportation um, has made a, a great statement, has made a great dent in this, um, such as the one that Governor Newsom's executive order to ban the sale of fossil fuel vehicles beyond 2035. Uh, this should clear California sky substantially, they're saying, and it will be a momentous accomplishment. Um, that's great for one of the country's largest economies. So shout out to the governor over there and the people of California for making these shifts so we can actually see some movement Um, in the quality of air in one of America's greatest um, states. I think that's awesome. I love Cali, so y'all know I'm a fan, but (laughs) Uh, definitely good news to hear that the air is getting better somewhere. Um, So I'd like to thank our special guest, Trisha O'Connor. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you You for having me. Be looking forward to your successes. I'd love to bring you back after the election, talk a little bit more about your movement at that point. Um, and make sure you check out our Facebook page for updates on these stories. You can catch all of our older episodes on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org, on the Radio Free Brooklyn app, or on Spotify. Please listen up for more independent Brooklyn media. Our final track of the day is a dope jazz record called Safe Part 1, and it's by Daniel Cashmere, Moses Boyd, and Nubia Garcia. I hope you enjoy it. We'll see you next week.
3: Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Thank you.